morning, Thrive Church. We are talking about identity again this week. And um, you'll remember that we've been talking about this idea that identity comes from our beliefs and our values. And one of the places where we get tripped up is when we have faulty beliefs, typically about ourselves, uh, or we begin to you know, believe lies about ourselves, things that have built up over time. And, and you know, here's the thing. Um, this idea of spiritual warfare, when we when we talk about it, um, it it really is about truth overcoming lies. And so, you know, ultimately our 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 task is to really find those lies, those things that we believe about ourselves, and try to replace it with the truth. And so, um, last week um, we learned that you know a lot of us, many people, feel unworthy, uh, like we're not enough. And it's this thing called shame and a lot of people deal with it. In fact, I would say pretty much every one of us deals with, you know, some amount of shame in our, in our lifetime. And um, the, the truth is that, that God actually accepts us right where we're at. And that may have been uh, new information for some of you, or some of you have heard this a number of times and and maybe it's finally sinking in that it's that it's the truth. But but God does accept us uh, for for who we are, where we are, and then He begins to work with us from there. And that whole process is growth or maturity, or if you like the old time Wesleyan word, it's sanctification, where God starts where we are and begins to work with us. Um, to deal with some of those lies that we believe ourse- uh, about ourselves and some of the, the sin issues that have come out of it. And, and, and that's really what discipleship comes down to. So spiritual warfare is a big deal. Now, I want to tell a little story here at the beginning. And imagine a farmer who uh, has a well on his property. And he's had that well on the property for a long period of time. In fact, the well, you know, probably was one of the first things that were that that he dug when he when he bought the property and in, in order to use it for for his farming activities. Uh, the problem with that particular well, though, is that it's contaminated, and he doesn't know it. The farmer doesn't realize that there's something wrong with that well. Now, over a period of time. Um, Imagine that a person from the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, um, comes and tests the well and tells the farmer that it is contaminated. And at the same time, that same agent says, this one is contaminated, but there's clean water on the other side of your property. And so the farmer, wanting clean water for his activities, for his own drinking, goes ahead and he digs a well on the other side of the property so that he has fresh, clean water. But there's a problem, and you can probably see what it is, that this new, this new well being on the other side of the property means that he's got to go over some hills and he's got to go through some brambles and he's got to deal with not only the terrain and the, and the brush and the trees and and all that. It's a long walk there and back. And he's, you know, goes with empty buckets and he comes back with full buckets. And it's an awful lot 
of work to go and get clean water. At least it feels like that to him. And the truth of the matter is, is he doesn't always go to the new well. Um, sometimes it's just easier for him to go to the contaminated well because it's a lot closer. And frankly, he's used to it. The same is true for um, all of us in our spirituality, that there is a contaminated well and there's a clean well. And the fact of the matter is the vast majority of, uh, of us at some point return to that contaminated well for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, we're used to it. We just have these well-worn habits and we will go back to that contaminated well. We will go back to those habits or, or those things that are self-destructive, that aren't the healthiest things for us to do. And um, we know that there are better things for us it's just a lot easier to go back to something that we know. Have you ever felt that way? I'm sure that you have. And so a certain question begins to surface as we think about this, this difference between a contaminated well and a clean well. This idea between what is familiar to us and what is healthy for us or better for us as the case may be. And it's simply this, it's this question, what happens if I mess up? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What happens in your faith relationship with God when you blow it, when you screw up, when you make a mistake, when you choose something that you know isn't the best for you or you choose something that isn't God's idea for you in your life? What happens when I mess up. Humans are just prone to mistakes. I mean, we're not gods, we're human beings and we'll make errors. And we are um, prone to old habits as well. It's just sometimes easier to go back to those things that we know, even though we know they're not the best thing for us. And, and here's the most insidious part of this is that the enemy, the devil himself, will come along and, um, He'll use those mistakes, those errors that we make, um, to take us out of the fight. And, and usually it goes, you know, something, something like this. He will accuse us of doing something against God. Which is really funny because he usually is the one who tempts us to do the stuff in the first place. And then he comes on the back end and, and accuses us of doing it, saying, ah, see, you did it. Interestingly enough, the name Hasatan in, in Hebrew means the accuser. And so if you feel accused um, when you mess up, there's a reason for that. And it's a game plan that the enemy has had since the beginning of time. And we can go back in the text and you can, you can see it over and over again. And so he accuses us of blowing it. And in the process, um, we feel useless. We feel ineffective. And from time to time, we even begin to question our Christianity. Am I even a Christian to begin with? Do I really follow Jesus or am I just fooling myself? Is this just too hard? And, and the doubt begins to grow. It takes us out of the fight. And so we don't, you know, have the tough conversation we need to have, or we don't pray that prayer that we really need to, or we 
we won't take a hard look inside of our own heart. <laughs> and so we're frozen or we're stuck because we blew it. We just blew it. And so back to this idea of spiritual warfare, you'll remember it's the, the notion that truth overcomes lies and we've got to go back to the source of truth. It's not our feelings, it's not how we feel about ourselves, but it's the truth of what God says about us and we get a sense of that from the word, from the thing that, that he left for us. And so what does the word say about us? What do we find um, in the Bible that reveals to us God's heart? And that's what we want to take a look at, especially when we mess up. What happens when we mess up? And so I want to start um, with the book of Hebrews. And it's in chapter 4. And I want you to see this because I think this is really interesting. Um, the writer, the unknown writer at this point, uh, says this to us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the idea is that, that Jesus died and was raised again and ascended into heaven. And we know that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And because of that, we can approach the throne of grace. And we can do it with confidence. But, but notice this, is that the confidence is so that we can receive, what, mercy and find grace. Well, here's the thing. When do you need mercy and grace? When is it that you need those things? When you blow it. <laughs> and, and to help us in our time of need, that's not just a one and done sort of thing. I mean, it really is about grace and mercy when you need it. And sometimes, even as people who follow Jesus, as people who, who uh, wear the name of Christ, we still blow it from time to time, and yet there's still grace and there's still mercy. And we find that right here. You can find it when you need it, even when you mess up. So what happens? There's grace. There's mercy. In fact, one of the things that I've noticed as I've been uh, talking to people over the years, it just seems to me that um, God has more grace and mercy for us than we have for ourselves. And, and some of us uh, need to go through a process to forgive ourselves of things when we mess up. I know it's hard to do. I know it's a, sometimes a painful thing because you've got to face the fact and ask for that forgiveness. But look, the grace and mercy is available to you. The, the writer, the New Testament writer Paul, um, has an entire chapter, more or less, that's related to this idea. And, uh, and I want to read some portions out of it. It's in Romans chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you may want to turn there. Um, I'll, uh, I'll put most of it up on the screen, but a couple of things I, I do want you to see. So here it is in Romans 8, beginning with verse 1. Uh, and I, I love this. I've, I've come back to this over and over again in my own life. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of 
the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And, and that's an important thing. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you jump down to verse 31, you see a kind of a continuation of this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one condemns. Christ Jesus who died, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Remember, we actually saw this verse uh, in our last series on prayer that Jesus himself is praying for us, is interceding for us at the right hand of God. And that's an important thing. But when the accuser comes, because of Jesus and his position where he is with God at his right hand, there's no one who contemns us. So when the accuser comes, um, and you'll know it when he comes, um, it's always with a condemning attitude. Kind of this, oh, you blew it. You must not be a good Christian, or you must not be a good disciple, or um, you're just kidding yourself, or you're not good enough, or you're not uh, spiritual enough. I've heard all of these before. He's always condemning. But I found that when God tries to get our attention on something, it's a, it's a very different tone. It's not one of condemnation. Rather, it's one of conviction. And conviction is, is different in the sense that it gives us an alternative. So condemning says, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's bad for you, whatever that is. Whatever that sinful thing is, don't do that. You're bad because of it. You know, you hear the shame and you hear the condemnation in it. But conviction is something else entirely. Conviction is like, no, 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 not that. I've got something so much better for you. And I've noticed that in my, my own walk with Jesus when, when God is convicting me of something. It usually is, ah, David, you're settling for something so much less than what I have in mind. That's a very different place. There's no condemnation there. Rather, it's let me show you a different way. And that's conviction. I want to be convicted of those things because, no, that's not good for me. But there is an alternative. There is something that's better for me. I don't mind telling you, um, had one of those moments just in, in the last couple of weeks where I realized that I had a very specific distraction that had come up. And immediately I felt condemned for doing it. And I realized that's not from God. Rather, it was one of those moments of, oh, don't, don't be distracted by that. Don't, don't settle for something less than what, what God has in mind. That's conviction. And you know what? We, we respond so much better to conviction um, because it, it doesn't heap on the shame. It doesn't pile on the negative feelings, but rather it gives us a hopeful alternative. And so I want to just encourage you that when you mess up, and, and you will, you're human, it'll happen. Don't fall for the condemnation. That too is a lie because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one can actually condemn. 
but rather the conviction comes when you realize that there is something better um, in, in God's mind, in, 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 this, in the Spirit's plan for your life, and you, you realize that not this, um, but something else, something better. And I think that's, um, at least that's helpful, you know, for me when I'm dealing with that. I hope that's encouraging to you. And uh, keep in mind, too, that we serve a God of redemption. Um, I, th- I think that's sometimes we, we, we forget that a little bit. And, and the thing of it is, he can eat, take your, your greatest screw-ups, I mean, the worst ones that you've made, and he can make it count for something. You know, there's, there's this passage, again, in Romans 8, it's verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean things that everything's all going to work out hunky-dory in, you know, in, uh, in your favor, but rather God can use those circumstances to teach you something. So um, one of the things that uh, we've been doing in staff and in some of our small groups is that we've been posing this very simple question where do you think God might be active in your life this week? Because we presume that God is active. We presume that God is trying to communicate to us, to try to say something to us. And oftentimes, the, those places where God is at work can be moments of joy and excitement, but they can also be points of conflict and ag- agitation. Because God does work um, things out for good for those who, who are called according to his purpose. And so if you're dealing with some negative set, sets of circumstances, if you've, if you've got a particular conflict or an agitation or something, there's a very good chance, as uncomfortable as it is, that God has something in mind, that he can make that count for something more. Um, and if you're called according to his purpose, and I believe that you are, if you're called according to his purpose, he can work those things out. There can be some benefit. He can make it count for you. And I think the accuser will try to uh, try to distract us from that basic truth. So the word says that there's no condemnation. Um, there's no one to condemn you. And that God's going to work out those things, even your mistakes, for good. And you can always find grace and mercy. That's truth. Are you going to believe it, of course, is, is, the, is the question. And so, really, I think the lesson here for all of us is simply this. God does not waste tragedy. You know, you, you, you need to do the work of going to the uncontaminated well. And, and the question is, how do you do that? You know, we talk about this metaphor, the well. But how do we do that in our own lives? Look, it's not rocket surgery. It's actually quite simple, but it isn't easy. But here it is. You have to listen and respond. You have to listen and respond. you got to carve out some time with God. Um, and in those moments that you have with him, you, you take the mistake You take the sinful action, you take the error, you take the thing you're most embarrassed about, and you take it to Jesus and go, here, would you you help me with this? Can I find some grace and mercy here?
Lord, will you forgive me? And then listen. Now, of course, you're going to have to respond to it. You're going to have to do the stuff that you think that he tells you to do. You may need to make amends. You may need to ask for forgiveness. You may need to pray and fast. You may need to to have the tough conversation. All of those things, some of those things. Believe me, he knows what you need. And you just have to have the courage to go out and do it. You see, the benefit of that relationship that you have with Jesus is in Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see, his Spirit assures us that we're still loved, that he chose us and he adopted us, and even when we blow it, he still chooses us. And we still have all of the rights and privileges of being adopted, and we still have an inheritance and a down payment in the Holy Spirit. All of those things, even when you mess up. Even when you've done something that you're not proud of. And so really, you need to to trust that, that God does know us, that he knows you, and he and he knows that as human beings, we're, we're going to trip up. Um, but he still has grace and mercy. He still has those available to you whenever it is that you need it. And that you are secure in that love. That's not going to change. And so we stay in relationship with him. We listen and respond. And in that process, he tells us that we're still his children. We still belong to him. That despite whatever it is that we did, despite what we're not proud of, he still loves and accepts us and has an idea of what to do next. And we trust him for that. See, that's, that's the truth here. And the truth comes over the lie. And when you begin to believe this, this changes your identity, changes who you are, And when you have those moments, those feelings that you aren't worthy, you can say, that's not mine. I don't need to have that emotion. It's settled here. And if the accuser wants to accuse me, he needs to take it up with Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, you can imagine imagine how that battle's going to go, right? Let's pray. God, thank you for um, showing us um, that our identity is wrapped up in what we believe and what we value. And Lord, I pray that you would point out to each one of us who trying to take this thing seriously, any place where we have some lies in our lives. <clears throat> As we go throughout our days and our weeks, those things that hold us back, those beliefs that we have that keep us out of the game, that... Um, cause us to doubt our faith or undermine the work that you're trying to do, we would see those lies and we would overcome it with the truth that you have grace and mercy for every person who seeks it when they seek it. And that there's no condemnation, but there might be conviction that you have something better. Ah, God, that you can make it count even though 
um, we don't necessarily see the big picture like you do. And I pray that every person who's listening would actually hear you testify to their spirit, that you would speak to them so clearly that they would know that you still love them, that you still accept them, that you still have a next step for them despite any way that they have messed up in the past. Thank you, God, for these truths. I pray that we would get them in our heart, we'd get them in our minds, um, and that we would begin to believe that and we would become uh, people who can truly identify with Christ. Thank you for all that you're going to do through this in Jesus' name. Amen.